Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th October 2014. Have a listen please. Welcome dear listeners to this week's afternoon satsang. This is Prem from Team Radio Sai and with me as always is Brother Arvind. We are here to continue our discussion on the beautiful story of Lord Shri Rama as written by our dear Lord, the Ramakatha Raswaini. But before we begin our story and our narration for this week's, as always, let us begin by taking that name and thinking of that beautiful form of Lord Shri Rama. Shri Raghavam Dasharatatmajamaprame Sita Patim Raghukulan Mayaratnadipam Sairam, dear listeners, offering our most humble pranams at the lotus feet of our dear Swami, of Lord Shri Rama and Shri Hanuman, who is always present wherever the glories of Rama are sung. We begin to dive into the nectar story of Lord Shri Rama as penned by Swami. Prem, you know, the most amazing or beautiful thing about the epics such as the Ramayana, the Lord stories, the Bhagavatam, Swami stories, is that how many ever times we hear them, we never seem to tire of them. And there is a reason why we don't seem to tire of them. That is because every time we read the same thing or hear the same story, different insights strike us. Not only why go to that level. It's not only that 
reading the same thing makes different insight strike when you read the same thing over and over again different sentences in that book seem to stand out that was my experience with the ramkatha rasavahini you know as we go through the chapter a second time a third time statements which did not stand out to us during the first reading or the second reading seem to stand out during the third reading this might also mean that at different points in time we are sensitive and we are very very you know ready to receive different aspects of the book at the same time it is also a divine way in which the lord seems to be giving us what we need at that point in time it's so beautiful the experience is so wholesome but overall it it comes down to this that each time we read it it is a new experience it gives new insights and that is why we will see often that as we carry out this multiple part ramayana in our satsangs we are often going back and forth to the same episodes because reading them has now presented them in a different light to us and we get so thrilled and we want to share it with everyone come to think of it you know let us say that uh, we're seeing an advertisement okay mm. let's say a cola advertisement cola okay, okay cola advertisement where you know they say that you drink this and you feel cool and if you do this you feel happy and you will have people who are so excited about you and you suddenly become the person who is the most happening one around and we believe it and we know very much that the person who has made this advertisement has made it to sell a product hmm. he has made it with the idea of some kind of vested interest you no know, might not be evil but he is doing it for a selfish purpose hmm. if you look at the scriptures of any land it is given to us by you know for whatever reason is given with a very very selfless motive for the benefit of the person who is reading it Hmm. and i think that is the same case with any uh, scripture whether it's the ramayana or the mahabharata or any of the other the stories the bible the torah right, the... any of the other stories because we will see that even as we go into many of these details some of those are not readily understandable or acceptable to us you know going by standards what we have set and the society we live in we might think that you now could this be this is so unbecoming of a person who is of the stature of a rishi or of a stature of a king but that is why swami would say that when you read a scripture what is important is shraddha the belief that there is something subtler and meaningful in what we are reading mm. there is something which is beneficial to the person who is reading and if you don't see the benefit you're not seeing it the right way and you need to search for it and you have to see it in the right perspective and i think as you said any number of times you go through the ramayana why it gives you you know better understanding why as you said uh, different episodes stand out to you and seem to be calling out a message to you to all of us who reads it it's because of this you know it's got layers and layers and layers of profound meaning that even as we mull over it it and seems to through them. right peel yes. through them as swami would say mananam is what actually brings out the inherent message beautiful for example the last episode we had on the ramayana we completed the episode where parshurama meets rama and rama apparently humbles parshurama after which he gives all his powers and might to rama and so after that when i was doing the next part of the reading for the next satsang you know when you are reading through it often happens you do it i do it we read a little of the past also because it helps in continuity so this is how there's overlap and we reread the same things again this time when reading through the dialogue between parshurama and rama mm-hmm. just as i said different things stood out one thing was you know it is so beautiful while on the face of it it appears as if parshurama is very angry he is furious in all fury and anger he is uh, confronting rama There are some statements which Swami has written which show the wisdom of Parshurama. Okay. After all Parshurama is not just any ordinary warrior. He is also an avatar. Right. You know Parshurama says, "O Rama, you have broken one among the two bows that have been given to humanity. One is Vishnu's bow, one is Shiva's bow. You have broken Shiva's bow." Okay. And then 
This is after a question has been asked of Parshurama, you know, saying that why on earth are you trying to confront and fight with Rama now? Because you have renounced everything. You have realized that your battle of annihilating the evil Kshatriyas is over and therefore you have given up everything. Now why are you restarting that fight, that old enmity of yours with the Kshatriyas? Why do you want to restart? Rama is not such a person. This is the question that has been asked of Parshurama and in response this is what Parshurama says. He says that these were the two bows, you broke one bow, Mm -hmm. the Shiva's bow. He says, now you know, everything finishes its cycle with, you know, there is birth, there is sustenance and there is dissolution or death. With that, the cycle is complete. That cycle has been completed for Shiva's bow now. It was created for a purpose. It served the purpose and once it was done, it's broken and gone now. In the same way, this is Vishnu's bow which has been given to me. Its purpose is incomplete and therefore, I'm still carrying it around with me. And so he says, now this is the last connection that I have towards my mission of what it was of annihilating the Kshatriyas. He says, Rama, just break this bow like you did Shiva's so that my renunciation now becomes complete. My renunciation is not yet complete because though I have given up everything, I am still carrying around this bow. Mm-hmm. Once you break it, Rama, my renunciation becomes complete. So, you know, when Parshurama says this, these statements are embedded between his angry statements. Right. So, as readers, when we read also, we often miss it. But here you see such wisdom because when I saw this sentence jumped out at me and when I started just contemplating on that statement, it felt so thrilling because you remember Swami in his discourse has said that the Shiva Dhanush stands for ego and it is Rama breaking ego. Right. Going by the same kind of simile or metaphor, this now stands for ego and by ego, you know, we have had a satsang on it. Ego doesn't mean just pride. Ego means body attachment. And Parshurama here, you know, to all of us readers is giving this beautiful message that your renunciation will become complete only once body attachment is gone, once this ego is gone. So even me, the great Parshurama, having achieved so much and having done all this and having done all the penance, even my renunciation is not complete till I am able to offer this bow to Rama who is the Supreme Lord. That is, I am able to dissolve my ego which is body consciousness, body attachment and let go of it, break it, then only will my renunciation be complete. So, you know, reading the Ramayana for the second time when I came across this, I just felt, oh my God, Swami, how is it that Uh, We missed this point in the previous discussion of the conversation between Parshurama and Rama. So, that is the beauty of the Ramayana, that is the beauty of all the scriptures and this was the beautiful message that I felt seemed to be jumping out at me during the second reading. Right, and you know this character of Parshurama itself, as we promised our listeners last time, we will give a brief description about him. Very, very interesting character in the Ramayana. Interestingly, he is one of the Chiranjivis in the Indian mythology who is believed to be living even now. Because we would see that even in the Mahabharata, Bhishma is supposed to be tutored by Parashurama. Exactly. Karna manages to become a student of Parashurama, of course, eventually gets cursed by him. And I think Dronacharya also is a student of Parashurama. Yes, that's linked how, to Parashurama. That's how Bhishma and Dronacharya are known to each other. If you look at it, I mean, ages apart, Ramayana and, and uh, Mahabharata, but this character of Parashurama seems to be in them. In fact, very interestingly, you know, the other day, I was just going back after my duties in the studio towards Ganesha, and one person came up to me and uh, he said, I just want to share a small uh, bit of information with you. This is a person who works in, in the ashram. He said, I've been listening to your, uh, you know, satsang on the Ramayana, and I heard the part where you spoke about Parashurama, so I thought I'll just share this small piece of information with you. Mm. He said, it seems there was a group from Germany, Germany, which often comes here. And I think we all would have seen them. One particular group, they always come at a particular time in the year. So he had happened to attend a satsang which they were having when they were in Prashantanilam in uh, one of the uh, houses outside. So there the, the leader of the group 
he was sharing that in an interview swami spoke to them about parshurama aha okay huh. and he said swami told that yes he does live in that particular place which is referred to as the mahindra peak you know mahindra he, parvata huh. mahindra parvata he says that i have to return there before the nightfall you know that's the curse which he receives from kashyapa when he returns the land which is conquered after killing the kshatriyas kashyapa says that you should never you know spend a night in this land so that's why parshurama says that every day even if he comes he has to return to that mahindra parvata and that's why when rama says that i will hurt he, your limbs rama says i cannot kill he, you since you're a brahmin uh-huh. right i can't kill you because since you're a brahmin so therefore i have put this arrow onto my bow this is after he wields the bow and he says i have to release the arrow no tell me should i release it at your ability to be so fleet footed so that because of which you are able to travel the whole world and get back to mahendra peak every nightfall or should i direct it towards all the punya and good that you have gathered through your austerities and destroy that you choose which among these two do you need and parshurama says rama take away all the good that i have right. achieved don't uh, remove his ability for me to travel fast because that's what keeps me alive mm. so uh, you know he goes to that mahindra peak and swami said that this person still lives there and apparently one person in that group also eventually met parshurama in one of their pilgrimages aha okay that's and interesting which which was what you were sharing about so the fact is that you know uh, personalities like parshurama it is said that ashwatthama of the mahabharata is still around and there are many hanuman, hanuman is believed to be around and i believe he's sitting here now listening to the ramayana right. <laughs> and uh, hopefully he's pleased with the narration and not into disturbed but that is the story of parshurama he's a very very you know uh, standout character in the ramayana he doesn't appear in the scene after this after this he doesn't appear in the story of ramayana but there is reference to parshurama even the bhagavatam because he is one of the avatars of lord vishnu and you know his story in fact the avatar just before rama right. parshurama and then rama right one of the amsha avatars hmm. of lord vishnu and i think we made a mention of his birth and how it happened when we were speaking about the birth of vishwamitra correct when he was born as king kaushika and uh, it goes back to the father of kaushika who was king gadi okay and king gadi's daughter was given in marriage to a sage by name ruchika mm. and that's also a very interesting story because here is a princess and ruchika is a brahmin who is a sage who is seeking the hand of a princess so the king says that you know i cannot give my daughter to somebody you know whom i am not sure is able to you know fend for himself and how will he take care of my daughter so he asks as dowry you know it's important to note he asked the bridegroom as dowry for his daughter 1000 white horses whose left ear alone is black it just i think a way to put away the marriage <laughs> almost it's like that but you know ruchika is no ordinary man he is a sage of much accomplishment he goes to lord varuna and receives this boon and he gives it to the king and he gets the daughter in marriage and i think the daughter's name is satyavati so then what happens is ruchika does a small yagna okay by which he will get prasadam which when taken the person can bear children so he makes two portions of that prasadam one he gives to his wife satyavati and the other he gives to his mother and the thing is he has done the penance or the prayer in such a way that the portion which he gives to his wife will lead to a birth of a brahmin son and the portion which is given to his mother in law will lead to a birth of a kshatriya son hmm. and after he gives them the prasadam it seems he goes away to to his personal sadhana that is when the mother feels that definitely the prasadam which he gives to his wife will be superior to the one he has given to me oh, okay. you know the son which is begotten from that prasadam will be a better one than the one which has been given to me hmm. so she without consulting you know sage ruchika they swap the prasadam between them but later after they've taken it the wife very dutifully reports this to the husband saying that this is what has happened 
so when ruchika comes to know that this is a very wrong thing you've done because of what you've done the king is going to get a son who is having a brahmin nature and we are going to get a son who is of a kshatriya nature so then uh, satyavati falls at her husband's feet and says no you have to do something about this please let this not be this way so then ruchika says that okay i will put away this son by one generation so you will not get that kind of a son but the son born to your son will be of a kshatriya nature and the kshatriya son who is born with the brahmin nature is kaushika who eventually becomes vishwamitra the great sage whom we spoke so much about and the son which ruchika and satyavati get is jamadagni and jamadagni is the father of parashurama and parashurama is the son who is born to a brahmin with a kshatriya nature wow and that is what explains the you know the anger of parashurama you know prems many times when such stories are narrated or read or people come up and ask you know what is the need for all these stories i mean and also some feel that these stories for example being aired so much on radio sai makes it appear so hinduish it's not about hinduish and all that it's just that you know when we go through these stories it could have been anybody i mean the names might sound sanskritized but when you go through these stories you realize that it is actually a metaphor it is actually filled with so many lessons absolutely even as i heard the story this is the possibly only the second time i'm hearing the story it inspired so many thoughts you know one thought is that you know nothing in life nothing in the world is an accident mm-hmm. there's nothing like an accident in the world everything is preplanned and everything has a reason and just because i do not understand the reason doesn't mean that the reason does not exist and the other thing also shows as to why it is important that you have trust that you have confidence that you have faith all the good qualities that we speak about for our day to day living because lack of these seem to actually uh, turn the tables rather than make good of the same things and then you'll think that you know therefore being good is good and being bad is not good e- even as such thoughts arise you see how everything is a master plan that even the bad being there is a part of the master plan the the good being there is also part of the master plan so finally the good and bad there is no need for you to try to turn the bad into good or it finally comes down to you do nothing you just be a witness you know it it is such a beautiful thought it's not something very concrete it doesn't concretize in you as this is the way but you realize that while on one hand you may think that you are doing actions and god is the eternal witness on the other hand it appears as if you are the eternal witness god is doing everything you know in this context i'm just taking a small detour because mm-hmm. something very interesting happened a few days ago i went out for my sunday evening walk okay just as i was walking one of the students of the university comes to me his name is rishab i think and he is in the first year postgraduate mm-hmm. he tells sairam brother you know i spoke to swami okay <laughs> so i said uh, how did you speak to swami he said one evening on the lawns in front of the university so i said was it a vision was it a dream did swami appear he saying brother i don't know how to tell it to you but really it was swami speaking so i thought okay fine I mean, you tell me then what did impossible. swami speak okay. so how does it matter why i'm so thrilled is what he said was so beautiful mm-hmm. and uh, this thought came up in me because of what we were speaking and as i said it appears as if there's nothing that we got to do mm-hmm. we just have to exist or be because everything is planned the good is also planned the bad is also put in place for a reason everything is the reason so there's no need for anybody to change anything or you know this almost makes us feel that we are passive we got to do nothing right and that is where this boy what he said was so interesting he said that swami asked him do you know what is the purpose of life so he said i didn't know where to begin the answer from should i use the bhagavad gita so many discourses atma gyana so many things mm-hmm. he said swami there's actually so much to tell you i don't know how to answer <laughs> okay. you then swami said no 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 the purpose of life is can be summarized in just two words so what are the two words 
So then he was thinking again of the high flown terms, Sanskrit mm-hmm. terms. And Swami said the two words are being available. Being mm-hmm. available. So then he being said, available. Available. So he said, Swami, what is that? He says, you know, throughout the day, you are available. You're making yourself available. Then Swami explained, he said, he said, see, for example, morning when you get up, when you have to go and brush your teeth and go to the, you know, washroom, you're making yourself available to the ablutions. Okay. After that, you're making yourself available for breakfast. After that, you make yourself available for your classes. So throughout the day and at the end of the day, when you're tired, you make yourself available to sleep. So Swami said, throughout the day, you're making yourself available. Are you available to me? Swami mm-hmm. asked him. He said, yes, Swami, I attend Mandir, you know, I, morning we have fire sessions, we go for bhajans. Swami said, yes, you go for bhajans, you are available for bhajans, but are you available for me? You are available to the Mandir, but are you available to me? Then this boy was saying that that is when he realized that I may go to the Mandir, but am I along with being in the Mandir, am I with Swami? Am I in Swami? Because I may be sitting in the Mandir and studying my academics. I may be singing a bhajan, but my thought is elsewhere. And then he said, even as he thought quickly, he realized that he is actually not being available to Swami as such because he is making himself available to so many things. So then uh, he said, Swami, so all that I have to do is be available to you. Okay. Swami said, yes, that's all you have to do. He said, Swami, then the other sadhana, they say this thing, that thing, all that we have to do, nothing. He says, Swami said, no, nothing you need to do. He said, Swami, then what is this? I just have to have to be available. Is that all there is? I mean, it is so passive then life. Life is not active at all. Swami said, no, who said it is very, very active. And then Swami said, it seems that you see, your activity is in choosing what you are available to. That is totally in your hands. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything about the choice. Whether you want to make yourself available to God, you want to make yourself available to your food, you want to make yourself available to anything else, that is totally in your choice. So, life is not as passive as you think. Every moment of your life, the goal of life is to be available to me and every moment of your life, the effort that you have to put in is to make yourself available to me. So, while I take care of everything else, it is not as if it means you are leading a passive life because you have to put in all your activity and energy into ensuring that you are available to me. Uh, This is the detour that I came into, but that's because... We often feel that when we accept one way it makes life look like uh, unfair, that is when you take that your efforts is getting you results, It life looks like so unfair because some people without efforts get things and you with efforts don't get things. And when you take the thing that everything is predestined, I need not do anything because it's all divinely willed, then it makes, again, it makes you feel as if life is very unfair because why is something willed positively for some others? For some others, it is not so positive. And what is my purpose on earth then just to simply sit and, you know, do nothing? Is it, this was so beautiful, I felt because God said, I mean, Swami told him, you know, you actually need not do anything because I'll take care of everything. But that doesn't mean you are passive because every moment of your life, you have to ensure that you are available to me. Just extension of what you were saying, because I, I just heard one of the talks which was delivered during Dashara by, I think, uh, Dr. Suma Rao from the Anantapur campus. You know, she was saying that once when she was in an interview with Swami, suddenly Swami looked at her and said, what do you want? Okay, And uh, kind of asking her to make a prayer. So she looked at Swami and said, Swami, give me uh, bhakti, give me devotion. Then Swami asked, why do you want devotion? Mm. Why are you asking for devotion? So she, you know, referred to this very dilemma which all of us face. She said, because in life, Swami, we always have to make choices. Mm. And we have to make the choice which takes us to you. We have to choose you over our lower self. And for that, I need devotion. And what Swami said was very profound. You know, Swami said, even as you were telling about being active in your devotion to Swami, Swami said, see, you've already made that choice. Mm. You know, as a person, let's say, who is serving in Swami's university, who has dedicated her life. Swami said, you've already made that choice. 
Okay, so bhakti is a wrong prayer to make. Asking for bhakti is a wrong prayer. Hmm. So she was a little shaken by what Swami said. So she said, okay, Swami, you tell me what should I seek. You tell me what should I ask from you. And Swami said, ask for obedience. Because hmm. Swami said, you made the choice. But after having made the choice to live your life for Swami, you need obedience. At every moment, you have to choose to listen to Swami. And I think it's a very important thing because, you know, many of us, I think, are in that, you know, in the wrong belief that that one choice is all it takes. It's an active life of dedication and obedience. It's a choice we make every moment every of moment, our life. Every moment, every moment, every thought, every desire which is fulfilled. I think that is what it is. And in any of these stories, one thing which, you know, comes out to me whenever all these complicated stories in uh, mythology comes, the importance which is given to intention. Hmm. You know, bad might be happening. Somebody might go out and harm somebody or you would see that Parashurama, hmm. I mean, coming to that story, he rids the earth of the Kshatriya clan 21 times over. But it is the intention with which it is done. And it is uh, for a normal uh, observer, it might not sink in as right or wrong or, you know, as obviously right. But the intention with which an act is done is so very paramount from the point of view of divinity, from the point of view of Swami. It was so very important in trying to, you know, purify. I think the other day I was going through a discourse where Swami is talking about Dashara, where Swami is telling that that is the most important thing of Dashara because Mm. it is purifying the Icha Shakti. You know, the mother represents Icha Shakti, the you know intention. So all of Dashara, the real worship of the mother is purifying the intention. Wow. And coming back to the story of Parashurama, as I said, that 21 times over he reads. The cause of that is again an interesting episode, which is very similar to the story of Vishwamitra. Hmm. His father, Jamadagni, he too has a Kamadenu, a cow which is a wish-fulfilling cow. And uh, there comes this king who is a very, very valorous and a king who is spoken of in very glorious terms, even through the other scriptures, the Bhagavatam, the other Puranas and all that. He is Kartivirajuna. Hmm. He is said to have had a thousand hands. Right, it? exactly. He is the person who has earned the boon of having a thousand arms and uh, he is supposed to be a very righteous king. That's the interesting thing. He is a very, very righteous king. He is known for his, uh, you know, supremacy over the land he was ruling and no bad influence could come over the kingdom which he was ruling. That's how his rule is being described. But again, he was also a person who was given to, you know, the uh, wrong impulses of a Kshatriya. That's when he once comes to the uh, ashram of Jamadagni and he sees this cow, very similar to the case of Kaushika, and then desires the cow and Hmm. desires to have it. But what he does is he takes away the cow with with force. He kind of, uh, you know, very forcefully takes away the cow. And when Parshanama comes, he sees that this is what has happened. You know, the cow which his father was tendering so, you know, lovingly has been taken away by this king. So then he goes to the kingdom of Kartivirajana and then slays him, chops off all his thousand arms, kills him and brings back the cow. And when he comes back, Jamdagni says that this is not the right thing to do because you have killed a Kshatriya, you have killed a good king. Killing a good king is as bad as killing a Brahmin. That's Mm. what his father tells him because the king is taking care of so many uh, people. He's like the father of so many of his subjects and you've killed him. So he says you'll have to go and you know, repent for it and do penance. So when Parashurama goes away to do that penance and repentance, the sons of Kartevirajuna come back and kill Jamadagni. Revenge. Right. And that's when Parashurama comes, sees that his father has been, you know, murdered by these people. So he takes a vow, goes and kills all of them. And he says that the Kshatriya clan itself is a blot on humanity. So he says he vows to rid the earth of the Kshatriya clan and does it 21 times over. You know, it's a very interesting thing. Even this Kartivirajuna, as I said, he's actually a good king, hmm. barring a few things which he did. And another interesting fact is Kartivirajuna is somebody who has won a battle over Ravana. Hmm. And if you look at it, Kartivirajuna has defeated Ravana. Kartivirajuna has been killed by Parashurama. Parashurama has been defeated by Lord Rama. 
and even after this if ravana did not get the clue that he is fighting with somebody who is not his match that's a very interesting thing that is what ego does you know ego is something that blinds you from god that's why swami says man minus ego is god man minus his desires minus his ego becomes god so it is actually ego that prevents us from seeing god and that is what happened with ravana too and that is where you know parshurama's beauty comes because he is offering that very ego at the feet of rama saying that you know take my bow and break it no one more message that i felt jumping out through when i was reading this is when rama asks parshurama shall i direct this arrow against your feet or against your accumulated uh, austerities mm-hmm. at that time you know i was just realizing look at it from parshurama's point of view okay he was very very angry on rama and when he was angry on rama he wanted to come and pour his anger on rama mm-hmm. at the end of it nothing happened to rama it's just that parshurama was sans his bow and sans his austerities he lost again you know it subtly gives us a message that anger damages the vessel in which it is stored more than the vessel into which it is poured you know anger is like it's like yeah. that acid right. when the vessel which holds it is damaged even more than the vessel which momentarily receives it so that is what happened if you see parshurama is weakened after the whole episode and i feel it is such a strong reminder against anger another similar thing happens in the same episode mm-hmm. you know when parshurama is throwing abuses at rama and speaking mockingly of him at that time lakshmana is getting more and more infuriated at the ego the pride of this so called sage you know in lakshmana's mind it is like a so called sage because how can a sage be like this so pride and his ego is infuriating lakshmana and swami writes that the more and more lakshmana is getting angry rama is getting more and more smiles <laughs> and i feel you know that is the difference between a human reaction and a divine reaction to ego while we mere mortals when we see ego when we see pride it enrages us makes us get angry makes us feel irritated it only amuses the lord you know i'm sure we will be able to recollect many instances where we would have seen ego getting blatantly displayed in swami's presence and how swami would actually smile and laugh at it it might actually infuriate and irritate some of us it might infuriate and irritate humans mere mortals but the lord it only amuses that is another beautiful i feel you know like a rule of the thumb when you feel somebody is egoistic is that ego actually irritating me or is it amusing me if it is irritating me i can be sure that i am also at a stage as low if not lower than the stage which i am getting irritated at only the day when it starts to amuse me can i understand and feel happy that i am progressing spiritually because ego amuses divine it irritates mortals that is what we see happening there also lakshmana is getting more and more angry and swami writes exactly this sentence that the more and more lakshmana got infuriated the more and more rama was smiling i felt this is another message that you know jumps out when we read the ramkatha rasavahini in fact if you look at it no i mean uh, one thing is to see anger and calm the other is going back to that analogy of lakshmana standing for buddhi and rama standing for atma if you look at yourself in any situation there is one side the voice of the conscience the other side is the reasoning mm-hmm. you know your buddhi is nothing but the reasoning and most often the anger comes out of you know what you call as righteous anger when you see wrong being done in front of you you get angry you don't feel it is wrong to get angry so similarly lakshmana's anger was not wrong but the fact that lakshmana was always submissive to rama the fact that you know there is anger in you but you choose to always listen to that conscience more than the voice of the anger beautiful yes lakshmana did not attack parshurama right because at any time he always expressed his anger but he always remained in control because he knew that he will not do anything without the approval of rama and rama will always have the first word and you know i mean in day to day life it is very difficult to say that when you see something wrong happening in front of you you should not be angry 
and we all go through that you know the spontaneous feeling of anger comes when we see something wrong happening but at the same time if we actually look within we will hear that voice of conscience which is coming which has swami beautifully described the more you see wrong happening in front of you there'll be one part of you which is so calm and that calm will even surprise you but i think the the effort which we are going to do in all our life is how to make that voice of the conscience louder than the prattle of anger i think that is the sadhana which we all are trying to do and that's the beauty of the entire narration of ramayana you know there are so many subtle lessons and i think that is the joy of satsang because when you think of something something occurs to me and i'm sure the listeners who are listening to us when you're listening to them much much more will occur to them even as they're listening so beautiful prem and so dear listeners we will continue along with the story i think this is time we'll take a short break we'll enjoy some music some divine music after which we'll be back and we'll continue along this beautiful story of lord shri ram
Dear listeners, we are in the middle of the Ramakatha Raswani. We've just spoken about the uh, encounter between Parshurama and Lord Rama and we spoke about Parshurama. And uh, talking about uh, this character called Kati Virajana, did you know Arvind, there is a shloka hmm. which when chanted, if you lose something, ah, so you will get back. You won't believe it. I had an encounter with this shloka sometime back. Okay. And you know, it's amazing. The two, three things that I've found. Okay. And two, three things that I didn't found. If I'm not wrong, it goes something like Kartavirya Nama Raja Bahu I'll just tell it out so that if any of our devotees have lost some, I mean, uh, listeners have lost something, maybe they can try it out themselves. It let goes something like this. Let, maybe can I try? I am trying from memory. Right, Kartavirya sure. Nama Raja Bahu Sahasravan. Uh, something like that. Kartavirajno Nama huh. Raja Bahu, Bahu Sahasravan. Right. Tasya Smarana Matrena. Right. Gatam Nashtam Chalabhyate. Exactly. Yes, I so remember that's this the because thing. you won't uh, believe it, Prem. It's too personal for me to narrate it, but I was told that if you lose something, mm-hmm. this chanting this will get it back to you and I was given this when somebody in my family lost a gold ring Okay. and I thought I'll use it but then in my heart I said Swami I have lost something far far greater which nobody other than you and me know mm-hmm. and to this day nobody knows so I don't want to tell that but anyway I told Swami that is what I want to do and though I am chanting this for the sake of the ring my actual desire is for that Prem, within one year I found it I am telling you it is so amazing I found it the ring has not yet been found but I found it and so my faith in this mantra is very very high so, and I feel, I don't want to use it for little, little things that I lose. You know, a gold ring, a car. These are not things that you have to use this for. But something really big in life, if you feel you have lost, I feel chanting this gets it back to you. Exactly. I mean, it's really surprising because many, many people have told me that this mantra really works. I know a couple of lecturers who said that, you know, you just chant this. The number of times is, I think, uh, different with different people. Some say 21, some say 108. And I remember once, uh, one of the senior lecturers from the Anantapur campus was, you know, delivering a lecture during the summer course. She was saying that once she had lost something and somebody told her the shloka and said, you just chant this. And she started finding things which she had lost years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, the, all those things started coming the, back. Uh, the amazing thing is, actually, we see the direct meaning. That's why I always feel that, like our scriptures, the mantras too have several layers of meaning. Because at the direct phase, when you see Kartavirya Arjuna Nama Raja, it means there's a king called Kartavirya Arjuna, Bahu yes. Sahasravan, who yes, has a thousand, thousand arms. arms. Tasya Smarana Matrena, just by the remembrance of him, Gatam Nashtam Chalabhyate, you will find and get what you lost and what is destroyed. <laughs> it looks like some prosaic statement and I was really skeptical. It's not as if I did the mantra chanting with, uh, you know, complete faith in the mantra also. I just did it like whatever I got to lose. If I get it, it's great. And so, you know, the amazing thing that thrilled me is a mantra is so powerful that while they say that having faith in the mantra is the best way to get results, even without faith when you chant the mantra, the vibrations or something about the mantra clicks and the universe orients to fulfill that mantra. It's amazing. Absolutely. I think it's much more than just the meaning of... uh these mantras because you know someone has infested some kind of power in these mantras and I think that's what works uh, sometime back when we had Praveena sir from the school here mm-hmm. he was telling us you know we chant so many mantras in Vedas and all that but if you see historically the Vedas seem to have emerged even before the language of Sanskrit has actually come to us mm-hmm. so definitely it's something much more than the meaning which we can see and uh, you know understand in all these I mantras. was speaking to Vedna sir recently mm-hmm. and this is exactly what he said in fact he recorded a message for devotees in the Latin American belt who wanted something on the Vedas. So they had brought up some questions and he was answering. And he said, the greatest misnomer is to think that the Vedas are in Sanskrit. He said, the Vedas are nothing but fundamental vibrations. They are fundamental to existence, fundamental to life. 
you know we have meters which gather that vibrations and show it to us in terms of whatever frequency hertz and different parameters but a vibration is not 5 hertz it's not 10 hertz it's just a way of interpreting that vibration so vedanar and sir was saying that even putting them down in sanskrit is a way of just interpreting that vibration the vedas are not in sanskrit the vedas are just vibrations which are fundamental to life and therefore since life is fundamental and common to everybody vedas are for everybody absolutely i think that's what so dear listeners any if you lost something i think maybe you should try this out and it does seem to be really working <laughs> so i think let's proceed in the story as we've narrated the, the encounter between parshurama and lord rama is over after that encounter the uh, king and the brothers that is rama lakshmana bharata shatrughna with and their it's wife it's a interesting conversation which occurs after that dashartha is so moved by what he has seen and uh, you know even as i was going through this episode where dashratha was holding his heart in his hand and this whole thing was happening the, the other uh, beautiful thing which struck me was you know all through dashratha is carrying that curse that he is going to you know give up his life because of his separation from his son hmm. and if you look at it there are so many times in the ramayana where he is going through this pain and this fear you know the first time when rama shows total detachment to the palace and you know relations and everything he is panicky then mm. the second time when vishwamitra comes and takes away their son he is panicky now again when parshurama is coming and he's you know challenging rama he's saying what happens to my son and if you look at it what he did as a mistake once he's coming back to him so many times of course in the story that he gives up his life only once when rama finally leaves for the forest but the fear of losing his son and that you know the agony of losing his son he is going through so many times and when we spoke about reflection reaction resound i think that satsang we did we spoke of the concept of resound when good comes back to you many times the bad that you do comes back to you many times mm. i think that's what is seen here right i i remember a slightly maybe slightly tangential but a, a sanskrit shloka i'm not remembering the first line completely but it goes something like prana parityagah na mana parikhandanam mm-hmm. prana tyaga kshanam chaiva mana bhango dine dine mm-hmm. it says if you have to choose between giving up life and giving up your honor okay. or giving up goodness or giving up your life always choose giving up your life rather than giving up goodness because when you give up your life that sacrifice happens only once you give right. up your life and you're gone but manabhango that is the loss of reputation and the loss of face because of giving up goodness that is a daily torture that you will have to undergo yeah i just remembered it because of you know these negative things like fear guilt these are things that keep haunting us over and over again you know that is why it is preferable to choose death over these because death happens only once while these happen on a daily basis and as you rightly said we can see uh, traces of this where dasharatha because of that one a wrong deed that he did as a consequence of that the guilt and the fear keep coming to him over and over again many instances as you rightly quoted right and you know even as you read through the narration i think it's a plea I, I, we would like to make to the listeners you know just listening to our satsang don't think that you've read the ramakatha swani because each of you have to be you know interested in reading the ramakatha swani because some of the sentences which swami makes there and beautifully translated by professor kasturi are ringing with so much meaning and you know there's so profound and powerful statements as you said you know some of the dialogues with parashurama makes in the midst of his anger were were sentences of surrender and of devotion similarly some of these proclamations which lord rama makes in explaining to dashratha what what dharma really is is so powerful i think some of these things i think even you've noted down here where he says dharma can never lose in preliminary stages it might create fear and doubt hmm. but it has to triumph men should fix their vision on the goal alone 
mean these are words which the son is telling the father and these words they come to us at different points in time when we need you know dear listeners what i feel is you know when prem reads the ramkatha rasavahini or i read the ramkatha rasavahini depending on what we need in our life depending on the problems that we are going through or the successes that we are going through the message strikes us it will be different when each one of us makes the effort to read it i often feel it's like you know when you go to banaras or when you go to any of these holy cities there's a river ganges flowing nearby mm-hmm. that river ganges is piped put into tanks and from the tank again via taps it comes you drink that water and feel yeah this is ganga water but you know you will never be able to enjoy the joy of ganges water unless you actually go and take a plunge in the holy ganges river of course in the upper stream because the lower it has got so polluted hopefully the prime minister of the nation has taken up the job of cleaning it let's see where it goes but coming back to the point the thing is you can never experience ganges through a tap and dear listeners ramkatha rasavahini rasavahini itself means the flow what we are now experiencing is the ramkatha rasavahini through the pipe and taps called prem and arvind it is never going to be equal to the joy and the profundity and the sublimity that we will get by diving into the ramkatha rasavahini on our own if not anything else the greatest thing that piping that water into taps like us could do is just inspire in you the thirst to actually go and dive in the ganges that is flowing that is the ramkatha rasavahini exactly and given the boon of technology no you don't even have to go out and buy a ramkatha rasavahini you just have to go and it's available online so just for your information sssbpt.info that's the website of the book trust there you have the entire ramkatha rasavahini and you know given that somebody is sitting in a in front of a system and listening to this it's all was like going to manasarovar and drinking mineral water from a bottle so dear listeners <laughs> exactly. we just hope that it inspires you to go and read it yourself in swami's words you just have to google search ram katha rasavahini satya sai it will throw up you can read the whole ram katha rasavahini yourself right and you know that image of in the early 70s when swami was writing ram katha rasavahini every month it just fills me with you know what all it is those devotees who waited every month for that sanatan sarthi to read the next part of ram katha rasavahini swami no. would build on a multiple episode serial right and <laughs> keep everyone on their toes beautiful luckily we have got the whole thing now we need not be on our toes and as and when we feel we can dive in and read so after this we proceed along the story when Dasharatha and everybody the whole retinue proceeds reaches Ayodhya and as soon as they reach Ayodhya I think we spoke about this earlier the uncle of Bharata and Shatrughna right. uh, Yudhajit Yudhajit right. yeah Yudhajit has come to invite them because their grandfather that is Kaikeyi's father is very the king of Kekeya queen Kaikeyi's father is very eager to see his grandsons and he is feeling bad he was unable to attend the wedding right actually he is not even aware of the wedding Yudhajit comes to Ayodhya with this exactly. request of taking Bharata to his uh, you know grandfather's kingdom and suddenly he says hey here is a wedding and he says that nobody is there he realizes that all of them have gone to Mithila for the wedding and that's when he he also travels to Mithila makes his prayer to Dasharatha and Dasharatha says that let the wedding uh, be completed we are happy that you are here to be part of it and when they return to Ayodhya he again makes the you know plea that he should be allowed to take Bharata and he says that his father will be very disappointed that he did not even know about his grandson's wedding and that pain and that disappointment can be assuaged a little if he takes the newly weds to his father and as lakshmana is attached to rama so is shatrughna to bharata and therefore bharata and shatrughna both with their wives mandavi and shrutakirti they leave for the kingdom of kekeya the capital city which is girivraja and uh, swami writes as to when uh, they go like this 
Dasharatha is now beginning to miss his sons. He begins to pine for them. He misses Bharata and Shatrughna's presence. And at the same time, the other side, in Girivraja, Bharata and Shatrughna are missing Rama so much. They are unable to spend their days without Rama. Though their body is in Girivraja, their heart and soul is always in Ayodhya. I feel that's a very beautiful lesson for all of us. Because, you know, all said and done, it is not possible for us to physically always be near Swami. It is not possible for all of us to always be in Prashantinilyam. But... Our bodies might be anywhere else in the world. If we can keep our mind and soul, our mind and heart always at Prashantinilyam, always in Prashantinilyam meaning the abode of supreme peace, which is at the lotus feet of Swami. If we can keep our mind and our hearts at the lotus feet of Swami always, just like how Bharata and Shatrughna did, I feel we will be able to create Prashantinilyam wherever we are geographically located. And that is a beautiful lesson that got inspired when I was reading as to how Bharata and Shatrughna missed Rama. You know, though they were off only for a short time, it was just like a short holiday they were going. Even at that time, they would miss Rama. And I think after this narrative comes the part where Swami talks about how, you know, Lord Rama kind of involves himself as the prince of the realm. Hmm. He starts involving himself in the administration. He starts going out and talking to his subjects and uh, begins to identify problems which can be sorted out. Then goes back to his father, you know, tells him that this is what I want to do. Takes the uh, ministers into confidence and starts doing things. And uh, he is beginning to become popular as an administrator among his subjects. There's no, one very in- interesting point I saw here is that Rama was so special because, you see, if you see whether in the political sphere or in our own organizations, I mean not only the satsai organizations, mm-hmm. in our own professional organizations, wherever we work, if there is any young budding person, you know, a male or a female, coming up, rising rapidly, either one of the two scenarios take place. Mm-hmm. One is, all his or her subordinates are very, very happy with him or her. Okay. And because of that, they work more for him or her and they are ready to toil along with him or her because of which he or she progresses and comes up. But he or she is perceived as a threat by the seniors, right. by the elders in the organization. They think, who is this new newcomer? Who is this person, young of age, who is speaking and doing things beyond his age? Thinks no end of himself or herself. That is one scenario. The other scenario is that he or she endears himself or herself to the people on top by even at sometimes, you know, degrading himself or herself to the extent of being, you know, flatterers and as they call, you know, chamaras, that <laughs> is the people who swing the fan for the rulers, you know, in the sense, just being their yes men. Right. In this scenario, what happens? The seniors, everyone is happy because they feel that when he or she comes up, we are not threatened in any manner because he or she is our yes man, our yes woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then this will displease those who are under him. You know, he is going to be like another one of them. He, there's nobody to understand us. So these are the two scenarios that often churn out. But in Rama's case, both the seniors, the people on top, the king, the ministers, everyone is happy with him. And the people, the subjects, they are also happy with him. This is a very beautiful blend and it's a very inspiring thing that we can learn from Swami that uh, when Swami writes that, you know, in our own organizations, in our own places of work, wherever, we often see this happening. Because of our good work, we may often become popular with those who are under us, but people above us are threatened by us and we also don't care a damn for them. We say, what is it? I am doing good. Uh, If they don't like it, It's their fate and we go head on along with them. Or in the other case, we try to, you know, cozy up, be pally with the people on top so that they are very happy with us, even at the cost of displeasing those who are under us. It is from Rama's life we learn how to draw that middle line where those who are subordinate to us, who are under us are also happy with us and those who are superior to us, who are above us are also happy with us and everybody is happy with us. 
that is something that you know rama the name itself says he who delights that is something that we can learn from rama's life and i'm sure even from our own swami's life from his childhood onwards if we see his childhood it has always been like that those who are under him in whatever rank or whatever administrative position or whatever they are happy with him those who are above him are also happy with him in his childhood days his teachers are happy with him his classmates who used to consider him guru are happy with him the same is the case with rama and that is one inspiring lesson that we should take about how we should conduct ourselves so that those who are under us and those who are above us both are happy with us and uh, i think a word of uh, praise needs to be put in for the character of dasharatha too you know mm. because here is a person a king who is a uh, shining forth of somebody who is totally interested in the welfare of the people hmm. and that is why when he sees the rise of his son i think it is more than just paternal affection towards his son you know the recognition of a good ruler in his son gives him the happiness that you know after me there is somebody who is going to take care of the people with the same concern which i had for them if not better huh? right if not better and i think that is also a sign of a good leader a good leader is not one who is so obsessed with his leadership and you know his ability to steer the ship but you know he finds the joy when he sees that there is somebody to carry forward you know with that concerned leadership when he exactly. sees that somebody you know, that is a very very important point about leadership we often see this happening you know a leader grows a leader leads and leader becomes an indispensable part of the organization of the team of the whatever he is leading but it so often happens that sometimes leaders can be so lost in themselves that they do not bring up a second rung right. of leadership to replace them and even in some cases where a second rung is either brought up or a second rung is ready when the time comes they are not ready to relinquish the leadership right. that attachment to the chair where you decide that i will take the chair to the grave if necessary but i will not give up my chair is something that was not present in dasharatha that is very admirable because swami writes that one night when dasharatha wakes up he is feeling thirsty he pours some water into the glass is about to drink it and he sees that his hand is shaking a bit out of fatigue or a sleepiness whatever he realizes that this was never the case before and he takes this as a signal from nature from god that you know dasharatha now you are getting old it's time for you to you know pass on your responsibility and pass on the duties to more able shoulders and in the middle of the night even as he drinks water dasharatha's heart makes a strong resolution that it is now time that i give up the whole kingdom i put it onto the able shoulders of rama now that i find is a great trait of a great leader because we often get so attached to the positions of authority the positions of power that has been actually vested in us by the people for good because they see some qualities they have put in us because they saw strengths and qualities which they lacked now when a time comes when those strengths and qualities are on the decline is it not our responsibility to pass on that mantle of leadership to the up and coming generation that is a trait of a true leader that we see very much evidently in dasharatha and you know we often come across people who lose sleep over how to achieve that leadership I mean achieve that position of authority but here swami says that dasharatha does not sleep that entire night because he is saying how do i pass on this how do i relinquish, you know, relinquish this? this he says because the time has come i'm becoming weak and it's just the beginning of weakness it's not like he is uh, you know he's not able to walk or he's not able to take care of himself even that beginning of weakness he is already losing sleep over it because he is saying that now the throne is vulnerable he says this throne which is given the authority to take care of the subjects that has become vulnerable it has to be given to somebody who's you know able and uh, carry on this important task of taking care of the subjects you know i might be jumping a little ahead here but mm-hmm. we will see later on as to how when it's proposed to rama rama himself tells his father that father no this is 
This is so early now. Let us wait for some more time. The beautiful thought that struck me is, you know, Prem, often people, you know, hold on to the position of authority or power because they have that fear that once I give up this, I will be a nobody. You know, but the beautiful thing that a true leader realizes is what I am is not because of the chair, but because of what I am. And such true leaders, even when they give up the chair, people still respect them, regard them. You know, formally and officially, they might not be the leaders. But how many cases have we known of such true leaders still being the guiding light for the company, for the organization, for the team, whatever. They will become repositories of experience into which everybody dips into. I was recently thinking of, for example, somebody like Sachin Tendulkar, you know, he's Mm -hmm. been adored uh, not only for his great cricketing skills, but because he's a great human being. And inevitable a time comes when even a legend like him has to retire from the sport. And you see, it is not as if he has not taken up any other thing after that, you know, whether it's commentary or coaching, nothing. It looks like he doesn't have a task and it's all over. But you know, books and books are coming, there are articles that are coming up, which show what an impact he has made. And just because he has retired, he has not left cricket. You know, that is another thing about a true leader that your respect, your authority, the love that people show on you is not because of the position that you are occupying, but because of who you are. And that you shall continue to be even after you relinquish the position. And a true leader recognizes this and that's why he has no problem in relinquishing the chair. While a person who gets respect and regard only because of the chair that he or she is occupying, he or she is the person who is not ready to relinquish that chair because he or she knows that the minute this chair is given up, this position is given up, the throne is given up, I'll become a nobody. Because I'm actually a nobody. It is the throne or the chair that has given me all the value. I think that is why this uh, the absence of this inherent uh, you know, wisdom to give up at the right time. Maybe that is what has caused people to fix a retirement age and say that 58 <laughs> is the time. <laughs> That's it after you're going. Because <laughs> you're going, you know, whether your hand is shaking or not shaking. <laughs> so because I have seen, Prem, I have seen some people whom I know, when they retired, their own company comes and pleads and says, please don't. Right. Be on honorarium. How many teachers do we have got as honorary exactly. teachers? Because, you know, that is something that is so beautiful. When you are really leadership material, uh, you know, it doesn't depend on the position at all. Even after you retire, there have been companies that have offered princely sums saying that we know that you are retired, but in an honorary capacity, please work with us. I mean, I feel that is what is earning, earning leadership rather than just yearning for leadership and, you know, you know, demanding respect. They say there's a difference between commanding respect and demanding respect. A true leader like Dasharatha commands respect. They don't demand respect. <laughs> like a wrong leader. Very true. I think that is where again the importance of intention. As you said, many of our lecturers, they're all people. Swami would use the word, "I'm not retiring you. I'm retiring you," because you would say that you all have, you know, so much that the you right intention. You have the right devotion. You're driven by the right feelings that you can guide our students more. And there are so many teachers. I remember, I think one of our lecturers, pretty similar to Dasharatha, I think he had a little bit of health problems. He went up to Swami and he said, Swami, I would like to, you know, take it easy now. We've grown old. Swami asked, how old are you? You're only 60. I'm 75. I'm still working. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that was how Swami inspired all of us. And uh, coming back to Dasharatha, I think one thing was his total detachment to the you know, the post he was holding, the, the kingship which he was holding. The other thing was the, his recognition of somebody who was so able in Lord Rama. You know, mm. when he found that here is somebody who can, you know, as you said, who can take on this reign, if not better, as much as how I've done it with concern. I think the push and the pull was there. His, mm. you know, his desire to give it up and his citing this person who is so very able to take on the reins. In fact, the next day, you know, immediately he calls all his trusted ministers 
of course the vashishta is there the other courtiers everyone and in open court he expresses this desire of his own and that he would like to crown rama initially you know vashishta says that don't you think that you should wait for his own brothers bharata and shatrugna who have gone to kkr they should return janaka would like to be he there. would like to be there there will be many other kings who would like to be present for such a grand ceremony why haste why do it so so fast but dasharatha you know is of that mentality of shubhasya shigram when it's a good thing that has to be done let it be done immediately you know the corollary is if something is bad just delay it delay it even mm-hmm. if you are not able to stop yourself from doing it try to delay doing the bad at least but when it's good try to put it into practice as soon as possible so dasharatha says this and he you know another beautiful trait of dasharatha that comes here a quality of a good leader is that he opens this up to discussions with all the subjects the courtiers and representatives representatives yes people. you know he is a king he is the emperor in fact he has the authority to take a decision on his own he has no need actually to consult legally he is not required to consult but yet it is his humility it is his humility that he consults with everyone and you know this gives out another powerful message that you know power lies in humility and not authority in inclusiveness and not in exclusivity you know you think you are exclusive you can take a decision but including everyone and uh, being inclusive in taking decisions and having the humility to seek from everyone and not just say that i am authority yes legally you can you have the authority to make a decision on your own but that is not what a true leader does that is what an arrogant person does if you are a true leader you involve everybody in the decision making and because you are a true leader you know whatever might be anybody's thoughts they might express it but at the end they will accept what you say because they have faith and trust in your leadership that is what happens in the ramayana story and that highlights another beautiful facet of a leader that is embodied by dasharatha right and that's what he does in the open court he throws this proposal to all the people he says that this is what has happened this is why i'm i'm in a hurry to do this and immediately he finds that applause from the gathering there they're all shouting shubham 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 saying that it's an auspicious thing to do let us do it and they're all you know representatives get up and say that this is a very very welcome decision we all would love to have you know rama as our yuvaraja and he says you have all our approval though you don't need our approval we are very glad that you asked us and you have our resounding approval exactly see for example if you think if unimaginable but let us take some other scenario if in case dasharatha had put forward something and everybody had said no no this is not right this is not right do you think dasharatha would have gone ahead with something you know that i feel is a trait of a leader you have the power to do it without everybody's approval but yet you want everyone to be happy as swami would say kalasi melasi perugudam kalasi melasi tirugudam let us grow together let us live together that feeling is very very vital for a leader without which you are not a leader you are just a person occupying a chair in the same thing you know when he seeks this and everybody says that this is what we will do one interesting twist that swami writes mm-hmm. which i don't know i feel possibly even valmiki might have missed he says when everybody says yes yes we want rama as a ruler it's awesome it's very very nice fantastic you know not the word like awesome and fantastic <laughs> i am saying that at that time dasharatha apparently suddenly becomes a little sad he then asks he asks the whole assembly i really want honest feedback on this dear ones seeing your enthusiasm one side of me is so happy that i am doing the right thing but the other side of me feels sad because it wonders whether i have not been a good ruler has something been lacking in my rule because of which you are so happy at the change in rule you know he puts forth and he says anybody can speak anything i am open you know this this is something so 
beautiful and right. so much treasured in a leader where a leader is open to feedback and he is listening to the voices of the people who have made him the ruler and that is when you know the subjects also say oh no dasharatha you have been like shankara you have been like vishnu for us you have protected us you have destroyed our enemies you have kept us safe we are all so thrilled because it is your decision to crown rama and because it is your decision we want to vociferously support you because we support whatever your decision is and you know that is what actually makes dasharath also feel happy that you know it is not as if they are thrilled because my rule was bad but my rule was good it is just that in support of my decision to crown rama they are all vociferously saying shubham you know this is another trait of a leader where he seeks feedback from the subjects from everyone around so that you know he is not lost in his own shell of assuming that he is perfect because he is the one who decides whether he is perfect or not and you know one of the things which one of the subjects says is that you know it would be a sin on our part to even point a finger at your administration that's how well you've ruled and uh, i think finally dashrata gets his way he says that this is why i want to do this and this is why i want to do it in a hurry because i feel that once i feel i am not capable of holding on to this reins it is not right on my part to even hold it for one day further and that's when he finally submits to vasishta and vasishta agrees that the coronation can be performed the next day the very next day the coronation as a crown prince right as a which crown means prince. technically it just means that rama is the crown prince if at all anything has to happen to dasharatha because of which he is unable to make a decision or unable to take a decision rama will automatically assume overlordship the emperorship and there is no need of any more discussions or deliberations that is what is meant by a yuvaraja crown prince right and uh, this is a very very important point in the story of ramayana because after this there are some very very beautiful things which only swami has revealed you know in fact it is not even revealed in ramkatha rasmani it was revealed by swami much much later we'll come to those very subtle points because you know these are the uh, you know if you look at uh, an artist many people can paint a picture but there are some artists who stand out because there are some very very subtle strokes only the masters can make and that is what is there in the narration of swami that's called a master stroke that's what is called a master stroke because we see that swami paints some of these characters in completely different hues which bring out their idealism which bring out a totally different dimension of the ramayana and that dear listeners which we will love to talk about next week but this is indeed a very important point in the story of ramayana because this is where it the, all begins it, it all begins because till now it is only the balakanda the boyhood of the avatar of lord rama you know after this comes the ayodhya kanda and of course the story where he moves on to the the vanavasa and the rest of it that is the aranya kanda aranya kanda will come to that so dear listeners we'll conclude our satsang here and it is with profound gratitude and love to swami that we would like to offer this at his lotus feet we are also grateful to hanuman who is lord hanuman who is always present wherever lord rama's glory is sung and we pray to him that we too become like him strong in the body so that we can serve our swami very intelligent in the mind so that we can serve our swami and pure in our soul and heart so that we can serve our swami with that we offer this at the lotus feet of our lord we leave you with this song dear listeners thank you jai sanam narayana bhajanarayan narayana bhajanarayan narayan narayana bhajanarayan narayana bhajanarayan narayana 
ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ 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 ಭಜ ರಂಜನ ಭವ ಭಯ ಭಂಜನ ಸುರನಿ ಖಂಡನ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಹನುಮನ ರಂಜನ ಭವ ಭಯ ಭಂಜನ ಸುರನಿ ಖಂಡನ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಜಬು ಜಬು ಪೀಡಾ ಪಡೆ ಭಕ್ತ ಪರ್ ಬಾರ್ ಬಾರ್ ಅವತಾರ ಿಕಾಕರ್ ಮಾನವ ಕೋಧಾರಕಿಯ ಪಾಪ ಪಾಪ ಮಿಠಾಕರ್ ಧೀರಧಿಕಾಕರ್ ಮಾನವ ಕೋಧಾರಕಿಯ ಿಹಾರಿ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಮುರಾರಿ ಹೇ ಗಿರಿಧಾರಿ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಜಿಹಾರಿ ಮುರಾರಿ ಹೇ ಗಿರಿಧಾರಿ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಜಿಹಾರಿ ಗಿರಿಧಾರಿ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಮತ್ಸ್ಯ ಕೂರ್ಮವ ರಾಘನ ರಾಹರಿ ವಮನಕೋ ಅವತಾರಕಿಯ ಪರಶುರಾಮ ಅವರು ರಾಮ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಬನ ಪರಶುರಾಮ ಅವರು ರಾಮ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ದುಷ್ಟೋ ಸಂಹಾರಕಿಯ ದುಷ್ಟೋ ಸಂಹಾರಕಿಯ ಹೇ ಅವತಾರಿ ಲೀಲಾಧಾರಿ ಕುಂಜ ವಿಹಾರಿ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಹೇ ಅವತಾರಿ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭಜ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಭ 
सजन से मन को सजन बनाकर भक्ति मार्ग सिखला दिया भजन से मन को भजन से भव सागर को पार नबी सिखला दिया साई भजन से पति तो धारी पति विहारी के गिरिधारी नारायण पति तो धारी पति विहारी साई मुरारी नारायण पति तो धारी पति विहारी साई मुरारी नारायण भज नारायण नारायण भज नारायण 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 भज नारायण नारायण भज नारायण 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 यू जस्ट हर्ड एन एपिसोड ऑफ अवर रेडियो प्रोग्राम afternoon satsang this was a segment of radio sai's thursday live hosted by prem and arvind at 12:30 pm indian standard time on thursdays only on asia stream of radio sai global harmony the discussion was on the ramakatha rasavahini a book written by swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 16th october 2014 dear listeners we hope you like this program As always send us your feedback to listener@radiosai.org. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashant Nilayam.